Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Marika Fino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. Hi, Christopher. How are you? I'm doing very well. Cool. You're back in the U.S.? I'm back in the U.S. Yeah, got back here after our amazing coffee in Lisbon. I don't know if I told you, but our flight actually got canceled. So we had one extra day and it was nice because we had a hotel paid for by the airlines. Nice. Super cool. <laughs> no, so even though you're Austin based in the U.S., yeah, you reached out to me while you were on a trip to Lisbon and we had that great coffee and a lot to discuss. And then I got inspired by your story and that's why I wanted to interview you. And today we're going to talk about employee share ownership. And you're kind of an expert because you managed to be financially independent thanks to tech equity. So at the start of your career, if we go back, you were working hard and climbing the ladder, but you burned out hard and it was in 2009. And then you changed plan and you chose to work for equity in tech startups. And a few years later, the venture you were actually working for went public and it kind of changed everything because you had to manage the wealth that you created. That's right. So you started to invest in private equity real estate and you even created a DIY family office and you've now replaced 75% of your paycheck with passive income, which is pretty impressive. Anything you want to add or is this sums you up well? Well, it, it does sum me up well. I think the key thing to understand, and this goes into what we really want to educate you know, the listeners about, is the first part of my career, I was working in technology, but I was working for a company that did not provide equity at my level. What this allowed me to do is it allowed me to build a great set of skills. And that's important for people to understand is when I got to the point that I was ready to intentionally go to work for equity. I was saying, I want to go work for equity. I had something to trade for it. And that's so important for people to understand that in the exchange of time and talent for equity, I was the rare and valuable asset. And it's important that that's the big mindset shift that people have to realize when they're doing it is, is you know, like when you trade for equities or anything, okay, you're going to trade money for a stock. Well, in this case, we are that asset, that valued thing that they want. Mm -hmm. So thanks for yeah putting things into perspective clearly. So tell us what was your reasoning. So after your burnout, you wanted to trade time and talent for equity. Why? Well, because I always knew that I wanted to be able to build out my investment portfolio more, but I knew that I needed more capital to do it. And so 
as I looked around in 2009, part of the burnout that I was experiencing was also because I had a side hustle where some a friend of mine who we had been in restaurants together in college, that's how we'd you know, work together through college, we had built out some juice and smoothie bars on the side that had you know imploded because of the Great Recession here in the United States. And so that sort of led to the burnout. But what I was trying to achieve with that is I was trying to get either something that was going to give me cash flow that I could add to my portfolio or something that was going to create, you know, a large amount of, of dollars, this high asset. And so for me in that moment where I, in, in 2009, I was in the middle of, I had a, a failed startup, I was nursing an ulcer and I didn't know which way to go. I thought like literally I wasn't sure what I'd done with my career. But one thing that I always do is I, number one is I'm a positive person. I always feel like there's more for us out there. And I wanted to understand like, where's the opportunity and this whole concept, right? We tech employees always hear these stories of Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, but we also hear stories of, you know, common people who go to work for tech companies, and they make money. So I knew that it could happen, but I didn't understand how, like I had more questions than answers. And interestingly enough, the same way that I found you on LinkedIn, I started scrolling through LinkedIn and I saw people's profiles where they were worked for companies that you, even as a stock trader, you'd love to have that portfolio, early stage Netflix or Google pre-IPO or Amazon, you know, pre-IPO. Like I saw all these companies and some of them worked for one, two, three of these. And I imagined in my head, wait, if they got shares working there and now that was sort of their personal portfolio, these people had a bit of money. So what I did is I started reaching out to them. I started just sliding into their direct messages and saying, can we have a conversation? And I really wanted to understand how they selected those companies. Because what was important for me at that point was how do I leverage my skills and how do I actually really start working for equity as a wealth strategy so that I could really take something significant off the table? And when I interviewed all of them, the one thing that I found, the common theme was that they all thought like investors with their time and their talent, meaning that the same way that you would look at a stock that you're saying, I'm going to invest in an individual stock because I know that you know, before in your career as a trader, I'm sure that you would look at what is the product? What's the product market fit? What is the revenue numbers? Who is the leadership? How are they leading the company? What I realized, the epiphany was, is that the mistake that the majority of us make in technology is number one, we let passion rule reason. We see a company, we like the product, the vision, the mission, we fall in love with the dream, but we don't do any due diligence farther than that. We also many times are stressed out and we make job moves based on not moving towards something that's planned or intentional, but we're actually running from fear. We're running from pain. You know, and then we don't have a plan. We don't have an exit plan at the end so that we're actually managing our careers, our shares as owners of an investment saying, okay, if this isn't going as planned, I'm either, what are you going to do? You're either going to buy, you're going to sell, or you're going to hold, right? And looking at that and saying, I've put a year in this company. Is it time for me to leave? You know, do I stay or, you know, do I cash out? What do I do? Mm -hmm. And so- it was really, 
I created then this structure that said, I'm going to think like an investor. I then went and surveyed a number of companies. And the, the important thing to understand is from 2009, I then did this work and, and I started looking and analyzing these companies in 2010. I selected the company in 2011. The IPO happened 12 months later. So I went from zero to multiple seven-figure payday in that period of time. It's unbelievable. And it was all by thinking like an investor. Well, and then the track record since then is then since I started planning like an investor, you know, I worked for four companies and three of them went through an IPO. And my strategy was I wanted to select companies that were 18 to 24 months from an IPO because then as I managed and, and as I was looking and, you know, for those companies, when you're an insider, they will usually report out to all of the employees that are shareholders, some level of the financial performance, you will understand what's going on with the leadership, who's staying, who's leaving, et cetera. You get to know the culture, you understand are customers happy or not. I could then make a decision every 12 months, am I going to continue to stay here, continue to invest my time? Am I going to remove my time, you know, or am I going to maybe try for a promotion? Do I want to try and get more equity shares out of the same company? And so since then, when I started thinking like an investor, three out of four of those companies went through IPO. It's crazy. So it's a lot of, of course, energy to meet the people, to be out there and ask questions, a lot of due diligence, as you said, and then probably a bit of common sense as well to make your strategy. <laughs> Why do you think it's so important equity or tech equity in building your wealth? Is it really a question of rapidity as your example? Well, I think what it is, is the way that all of a sudden I started thinking about it was, okay, if I'm at a point in my life where I'm going to work a W-2 job, you know, which in the United States, W-2, I realize internationally people ask me all the time, what's W-2 mean? Well, it means you, that's the tax form that you get that says that I am actually working for a large corporation. And, you know, we get benefits associated with that for us here in the United States is important because we usually get that our health benefits through that company. So that's really huge because for us, otherwise we have to carry that burden ourselves that can be substantial. But when you're working for another company, a corporation, a W-2 job, you have a choice. You can either go to work for a company that has a salary and a bonus plan, or you can go to work for a company that has salary, bonus plan, and equity. And honestly, the total equity compensation packages are going to be greater than just working for salary and bonus. So in my mind, it just became obvious, always work for equity. Because the other thing is, is that equity, unlike your salary, your salary is where you're going to be trading your time for money. The equity is this component where you're an, a part owner in the company and those shares can continue to grow based on the work that everybody at the company is doing. It's scalable. And so that's when I really became focused on the strategy of if I build my skills so that I can be a very competent a director, senior director, vice president, I can go into these companies, command a high level of shares, deliver results, and I can get then rewarded for it in a way that compounds my total career compensation much more than just single salary and or simple salary and bonus. Super clear, super interesting. And and it's true. You have three variables instead of two. So <laughs> one more way to earn money. 
Well, when you think about the journey to financial independence, right, traditional financial independence says, well, okay, now you actually need to reduce so much from your lifestyle so you live off half of your salary and then you invest the other half. When you work for equity, this is what I try to teach people is live off of your salary, live within your salary, use your bonus for the extras, the vacations, maybe the larger purchases, invest all your equity. You can then live a good, rich life right now. You may even still have extra dollars from your salary and bonus that you can invest as well. But then if you're investing all your equity, that can then accelerate your time to financial independence or at a minimum, at least give you a higher quality of life while you're moving towards no, exactly. Because you don't want to only focus in the 10 year, 15 years, because at some point it's a bit uh, frustrating. Yeah. Right. Super clear again. Thank you. So in terms of equity, there are lots of chances that actually an employee can get equity because it can be a great way for a company to align their employees with the company's success. It can be a reward for your performance. It can be a way as well to retain you as sometimes your shares are locked for a certain number of years. It can be a way to invest because it's often tax efficient. And you can even sometimes get free money with your employer matching parts or all of your investments. So any other situations or scenarios that I've missed? Well, I think the interesting thing that many people don't understand is the concept of the what we call here in the United States, you hear a lot of people talk about the golden handcuffs. And this is where if you are an employee and you're really adding value to a company, the way it will work is you'll walk in and it works this way in private companies and also public companies is you're going to get an equity compensation package that is based on four years. And at the end of the four years, you vest that. What many people don't understand and what I didn't understand getting into it is that by year two, if you are you know, having good reviews, good results, they're then going to want to refresh your equity. They're going to add more to it in year two to then continue adding dollars to the end so that you stay there. So what I always want people to understand is that you want to make sure that when you look at that current equity package is when you're thinking about your time is you can actually make that four-year equity package in three years if you really focus on delivering good results because you can get a refresh in year two that then you earn out by year three and you have one, two, three, four by that third year. So then if you do decide to go to another company or you want to take some time off, you've actually accumulated that in three years. So that's where it's important that when people come in in their interview process, they ask questions about, well, what's your refresh strategy? And they get educated on this because it could be a differentiator between an offer. But this is, again, I, I always want, the more you understand about how equity works, how the compensation structure works, you can accelerate your time to financial freedom. You could go to this company, get four years of equity in three years. You can go do that at a few other companies. And then again, you're getting larger quotients faster if you understand how it works and then you also negotiate well. The other thing I think it's important for people to understand is that as soon as you start getting equity, like the day that you get the equity compensation agreement, you need to do two things. Number one is you need to go find a stock options lawyer. There's many that are online that are reputable that you pay $350, $400, have them review the contract to just make sure that there's no strange clawback 
scenarios, right? Protect yourself. You're trading your time, your most valuable asset for this. So just make sure you know what this is. The second thing is, and this is again, as soon as you get the equity, make sure that you're engaging with a certified tax planner. I want to say that again, this is for people in the United States and maybe even people who are working for U.S. companies outside the United States may want to refer to them. A certified tax planner is, you know, it's only 1% of tax planners in the United States have that. But when you're working for equity, you need to be planning for it as soon as you get it. The mistake I see many people make and they lose the tax efficient benefits is they go get the tax preparer on the day that they owe their taxes or the month before they owe their taxes. At that point, it's too late. At that point, it's like the crime scene investigator that's drawing the chalk outline around the body. The crime's been committed. You're going to owe what you owe. The advantage to equity is that you start planning the taxes around it as soon as you get it. Okay, super clear again, love this to advise. And yeah, taxes, especially, we don't necessarily always think ahead, or but it's a big thing to take into consideration for sure, every country. <laughs> it really is because when you do advanced tax planning, then you can execute strategies where, and I was interviewing on my podcast, Tech Careers and Money Talk, yesterday, two tax planners And they have a different philosophy that blew my mind because their thing is look at the tax code as an opportunity to make money. Because if you actually do here in the United States, you follow what the government says, you can actually retain more money. They talk all the time about Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, they pay so little in taxes. It's because they have a team that structures them in the way the government wants them to. So they receive all the benefits. The reality is we can too. We just need to work with the right people. No, super clever. So having these kind of benefits, having equity, makes you very reliant on your company. And you depend on your employer for your pay, and you also have a significant exposure through them from your savings or investment. So I remember having an informal conversation with someone who actually realized while we were speaking, she had roughly a year worth of her salary in a company. What would you recommend in terms of concentration? And do you have an amount in mind or multiple you suggest not going over? And I guess it depends on the company as well. <laughs> it, it depends on the company. I mean, so this is where, again, you know, thinking like an investor, right? So this is a great example is like the first company that I worked for that went through an IPO was a company called Splunk. And I could tell having at that point, When I was working for Splunk, I'd been investing in the stock market and doing single, you know, I had a portfolio of single held stocks for years. So I knew how to analyze them and I was going long on Splunk. So at that point, it was very difficult because once we went through the IPO, had over 90% of our net worth in a single stock. So what I did is I put together a five-year divesting plan that said, by the end of this five years, I want Splunk to be 30% or less of our holdings. And I did that with tax professionals. And so I got to a mode where we were then created a harvesting plan of moving that to, you know, our cash management system. Because my step is always divest, get it to cash, and then execute your investment strategy sort of as, as two separate steps, if you will. Versus, you know, other companies that I worked for where I realized, okay, the market's not favorable to this stock. There could be leadership changes. 
that were happening at that point, I may then choose to liquidate faster because again, I'm thinking like an investor from all dimensions and saying, okay, am I going long on this stock? Am I not? I may want to then, you know, take that liquidity off the table. But to your point, I think it's important that all employees that are working for equity are looking at that pie chart of their portfolio monthly and saying, what are the decisions that I want to make? Because being overexposed in a single stock can be devastating. And it always reminds me of this story that I know of a friend of mine who, when he was a young guy, he and I went to the same school, computer science, and he was working for a large chip manufacturer. And as a young guy in his early 20s, he just kept accumulating his stock. And at one point, I think when he was like 26 or 27, he looked and he had $2 million in this account of the stock holdings, all in a single company. And at that point, his experience and his knowledge, because he wasn't a deep investor, said, my best thinking got me here. I'm going to let it ride. Mm-hmm. What happened is that company got into some litigation over rights and designs around a specific chip. Stock price started going down. He ended up liquidating everything because he was scared when it was worth around 200000 his holdings. And this to me, I tell this story and he actually encourages me to tell this story, not to use his name, but just share this with people because what he understands now is that if as that was climbing, if he was divesting off, he would have left with much more than the 200,000. And I do know still today, many people who, when they come to work with me in my private equity company will again, walk in and say, I've got 80% of my net worth in a single stock. You know, people need to look at that and there needs to be a strategy and you should be setting that number to something that you can, if all of a sudden that the value of that were to decrease by 30, 40, 50% overnight, you have to be comfortable with that, what your portfolio would look like in that scenario. No, exactly. And I think, of course, the concentration depends on the company you have your share with, but I'm very happy and, and um, positively surprised, or, or let's say just surprised, not positively, that actually some people can get 80, 90% of their wealth in just one stock. I mean, I find it unbelievable, but again, maybe <laughs> I love to spread everything, but again, it's um, really good knowledge for me. So let's talk about startups now. And the question of equity arises probably even quicker than in bigger companies. Why? Because salaries can be a bit lower. But of course, you know that you're working for the equity. But when it's a startup, it's not quoted, which means it's hard to actually know the value. So how can you get an idea of what it represents and what you should aim for? And yeah, do you have any tip there? I do. One of the things that's important for people to understand is that in startups, there is also a range of maturity of startups. It's easy to see the range, generally speaking, by the round or the level of funding. I think the best resource for startups and their funding is Crunchbase. Crunchbase is a you know global company that actually then categorizes them and lets you know, like, is it seed funding? Seed funding is you're going to find this is a five to 30 person company where they maybe have, you know, zero to $3 million in funding, maybe $5 million. And they're really trying to get the product to some customers versus then all of a sudden you start getting an A round of funding, five, 10, 
maybe even more, you know, all the way up to E rounds, which those are generally speaking going to be your unicorns haven't gone public, you know, can be doing hundred, maybe even billions of dollars in revenue. I think of Stripe today, which is still public and, and has had quite a few rounds of funding. And so with all of those companies, the other thing is, is online, you can go to Crunchbase. Crunchbase will let you know how much funding it's taken. will also give you insight to the leadership. What's interesting is that now companies that are more mature, some of them actually are traded on, you know, in secondary markets. They may not be on the public market, but Forge Global is one of the largest providers of you know, secondary market stocks, if you go in there, even as you don't need to be accredited or anything, you can go create a profile, say you're interested at looking at stocks, they will give you a lot more in-depth financial information than you can find online. So I think looking at the exterior of companies and trying to understand what's the round of funding, you know, do people really understand and is there some valuation numbers that are out there that can help you get started. I think that when you start interviewing with the companies, and it also depends on level, right? Director and below, they may not reveal as much financial information as they will director and above. Because if you are an executive and you have, you know, this highly sought after skills and talent that they want to bring into the team, they're willing to share a lot more. You can start then asking for some sales numbers, some revenue numbers, customer sat numbers, but that's also customer satisfaction. You can see if products are out there, you can go on to different evaluation websites and you can start seeing how satisfied customers are with the product. But I do think that trying to get as much financial information is critical, understanding who the leadership is. Is this founder led? Is this somebody who's doing this for the first time? Is it a serial founder, somebody who's done this before? Is this a founder that has you know, three companies they've built and have been acquired, and this is the fourth one they're doing. Is this a founder that has taken a company public before and now they're doing it again? Or is it a experienced executive? Like the founder is now the CTO and they brought in a CEO who is, their specialty is taking things public, right? That was, you know, the situation that that I was in when I went to Splunk is they had taken out the, a founder CEO and had replaced it with a very experienced CEO that had a great reputation for building culture, had a track record of leading companies to large acquisitions or taking them public. That's a huge indicator that they're bringing in a team, you know, that has that experience, been there, done that. And it's important that people understand that. Why is that such a big indicator? Because those executives are not going to spend their valuable time on a company that they don't think is going to get to the trajectory that's worth their time. So I think sometimes looking at leadership is very important in addition to the financials, in addition to customer satisfaction and product fit and those types of things. But I think people would be pleasantly surprised on what they can find online today in where they can get that type of information. So again, they can think like investors and make good informed decisions. Mm -hmm. And again, it's super clear, like the different steps we need to look at and yeah, even sources to get inspired. So, and imagine now you want to negotiate a share of equity. What's your advice? Again, depending on your level. Well, I'm going to share with you the one question that people aren't asking that will truly, truly, truly 
unlock a negotiation and prepare them for a counteroffer. And so here's the scenario. When people are going through a, a hiring stage at a tech firm and they get to the point where it's the offer stage, usually they're going to be sitting across from virtually or physically from the hiring manager or from the HR representative that's going to read them their offer. They're going to walk through, okay, here's your salary. Here's the bonus. Here's the equity. Here's the benefits. They're going to pause and they're going to ask you, do you have any questions? And here is my advice that has worked for many, many people to set them up great for a counteroffer. You take a pause and you repeat this exact question. What on this is negotiable? And then you be quiet. And in that instance, what has happened with myself, other people that I've coached is in that moment, the person is going to scan over and they're going to say, well, you know, actually salary cash is pretty fixed. We actually have some flexibility on the equity or, you know, hey, if you want to negotiate for, you know, some more days off, if it's not unlimited days off, you can do that. But they will sit there and they will go through and they will answer the question and tell you what's negotiable. What this allows you to do is it allows you to understand where's the flexibility in their compensation structure. And I encourage everybody to go out and look at the market. There's a lot of websites now. Teamblind.com is one of them where you can go and people reveal their salary, their equity packages. You need to understand the market and understand your skill set. And then you are equipped to come back with a counteroffer based on what's important to you. If you have a family and you've already worked for some companies for equity, maybe salary and bonus are more important. The equity isn't. Or maybe you're earlier in your career, you really want to try and get a big portion of equity at a company that you see is going to perform very well. Then you want to negotiate the equity. But that's, to me, is if people can walk away and they can just go and ask that one question, I think they're going to find that they're going to be able to negotiate for an additional uh, 10 or 15% on their comp. Mm -mm. And I love it. I think it's very powerful. I mean, I've never used it myself, but <laughs> you never know. No, but what I love is that in a salary or package negotiation, you never know where they have leeway and there's no way to push on something that actually you don't know, but they have no flexibility on. So I think it's a really clever way to put it that way. So, yeah. And what about if you have all this equity, but you either get fired or want to leave? So this is where upfront, like really understanding, understanding your contract, especially the stock options agreement or the RSU agreements. It's so important that you understand what it is. If you want, you know, and that's the thing is if you want to leave and you understand your agreement, you're going to understand when's the next vesting cycle, when are things happening? Because, you know, things that have vested, there are going to be things that you own things that you've owned that are certain types of shares, you're going to own those. So you have what you have, and then you either need to figure out, are you going to go to the next vesting date or not? When it comes to options, and this is what is important for people to understand with options is options, you vest the right to own. So then you also need to exercise. So that's the one thing is if you're planning an exit, or if you may get terminated, you need to be planning for those scenarios. This goes up front of doing the planning. So if you're coming to the first year, you're going to get 25% of your equity and maybe things aren't going as well and you get terminated, you may then have to buy all or a portion of that by exercising those shares if you want to keep that. The one thing that I always encourage people to is 
people think in this all or nothing mentality is like when they get to that 25% and maybe it's people who want to leave. I've had scenarios where I've worked at this company for a year. I have these options. I want to leave. Should I buy it? Yes or no? And it's like, well, you can actually buy 10% of it. You can buy what dollars you have. And, you know, when you see the trajectory of this company, where do you see it going? You know, how much do you want to buy? It's not a, I have to buy all 25% or nothing. You actually have the ability to buy portions of that. So this is, again, thinking like an investor, how much capital do you want to risk in this scenario? And what do you want to, again, take off the table for the amount of time and effort that you've put in? You know, and, and where do you see this company's trajectory going? That's just something that I always try and make sure and educate people on because I've definitely seen people see that as binary. Yeah. But again, super, super interesting. Last few questions before we end. How long did it take you? And this is more like as an inspiration. How long did it take you to get to the 75% of your paycheck from passive income? Well, you know, it took us... I would say once we went through that IPO in 2012, we really started getting educated on income investing, which turned out for us to be the most valuable is real estate income here in the United States because it gives you so many benefits. But I would say from 2013 to 2017, there's four years, there was education and there was maybe small investments before we really got into it. But I would say it was 2017 to 2022 where we really we're building significant wealth, deploying significant capital. I mean, we took, you know, 40% of our portfolio out of the market and deployed it into commercial real estate, high income producing commercial real estate. And so what is that? It's five years. I'd say it was really five years to do that. And I think the important thing too, for people to understand is that I've replaced 75% of my paycheck but the reality is, is that I'm able to be financially independent because when you invest in something as tax efficient as real estate, you need a lot less dollars to live off of. Because if for here, you know, large paychecks can be taxed at 32% versus when you're getting that in real estate income, you know, your tax margin may be five or 6% because you're, you're getting depreciation and it's much more an effective way to generate income. But it was definitely five years, but three years, like we wanted to be very educated. And this is something that, again, I'm passionate today in, you know, my company and, and the coaching I do is helping people get, accelerate that education so they can focus on really deploying the capital. Thanks for sharing your experience, because again, I think it's motivating, inspiring, and it's good to know what others have done. So I know you love real estate. What is the structure of your overall investment portfolio? If you can put like percentages, for example. Yeah, so percentages is right now we're at 10% cash, we're 50% in equities, and then 30% is in real estate. And part of that is, and I know I, I readjusted it because, you know, we I'd gone through an IPO with GitLab in 2021. And that is something that we're still, again, holding in that asset that sort of adjusted some of those things. We've also had a few exits that we haven't redeployed the capital yet. So we're keeping that in our cash management system. Okay. So 10, 50, and 30, we missed 10. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. 10, 50, 40. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Christopher, for this discussion. I really, really enjoyed. I learned a ton. And even though I'm already in the 
in this space. So I'm sure like our listeners gonna even learn more. But thank you so much for all your practical tools, the um, sharing, yeah, your experience and your knowledge. I'm super, super pleased and um, yeah, grateful that you managed to share all of it. Thank you for having me, Marie. <laughs> ciao, ciao. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you.